I think I think we're one of the circling locations for the airport though, and that's why they're figure out how to fly and land your freaking plane. Well, they have to adjust according to which no. which It's 2021, you shouldn't have to adjust anything anymore. Well, no, no, they're not adjusting. There there's different angled um what are they no. called? Landing strips. They're not all going the same way. They they get told to land on different ones. So they have to turn I'll tell to them do to that. figure it out and stay away from this house. Audrey, we live very close to the airport. That's that's what you the price you pay. No. Well, they need to pay me then for the inconvenience. <laughs> Excuse me, we're trying to do a podcast here, so if you're going to keep flying over our home and be in the background, then you need to be paid to be a part of our podcast. So I'd like to see money now. Thank you. That's not, like, that's not how guests Jesus. work, Audrey. <laughs> guests don't pay to be on things. We don't, they're an unwelcome <laughs> guest, so they have to pay. You know, I've never even been on a plane, so they owe me something. They're probably like, she owes us something. She's never been on a plane. Yeah, I drive. Thank you very much. You can't drive everywhere. I can try. (laughs) (laughs) And I will. I'm too poor to go out of the country except for Canada. The kind of person. You just gotta fly to that. There's a a road that you can start at in South Africa, and then you can drive all the way up to the very, like, tip of Siberia and the far eastern corner of russia and that's like, like roads will continually take you all the way from the bottom of africa to the far eastern portion See, of i can do it if russia I, and I was like that's you but you'd have to fly there <laughs> i can swim just kidding we already talked about did you keep any of that in for the last episode of me talking about the ocean some of it yeah okay i hope the free diving's in there i think so i think i <laughs> specifically cut it so the free diving stuff could be in there I thought it was funny. I know a lot about the ocean for someone who does not live near it and does also not get in it above my knees. Because you're terrified of it. (laughs) Everyone should be. Everybody should be scared of the ocean. Everyone should just have respect for the ocean. No, you should be scared of it because the ocean does not respect you. Oh, yeah. So why would you respect it? (laughs) I'm not saying I'm dumping trash into the ocean. (laughs) I'm just saying saying I'm steering clear of it in general. I will lay on that beach, and I will soak in the rays. I'm kind of thinking about getting another swimsuit. I thought you were going to say piercing. <laughs> oh, I will eventually. I want to get my doubles. Mm-hmm. You're going to wait for next season? Like, next... Wait a year? Yeah, probably after... Well, not a year, but I'll probably wait until after vacation or something. Mm-hmm. We should go into the swimsuit business. You know enough about sewing. Yeah. I just have to figure out how to sew the swimsuit material. I know enough about styles that I want but can never find online mm-hmm. ever. That's they my problem, too. They just exist in my mind. It's like, they, sh- they shouldn't be that this hard. This on me. Let me search up this idea. Nowhere. I want just a fun, patterned, actual, high-waisted bottom. I really don't care about the top. <laughs> I will I wear anything on top as long as it matches the bottom. <laughs> I think since, uh, the, uh, what is my generation called? Z? Yeah. Um, because all these Gen Zs want to bring back low-rise, I think we're not going to see high-waisted swimsuit bottoms for a while. But we're going to have to learn how to sew But here's the thing. Um, I hate my generation, and I reject it, and I'm not part of it. I hate them so much. I think it's so funny how quickly we've gone back to some of those. Like, they weren't that long ago. It's not like, you know, normally... What was the movie that we were watching that I said Gen Z needs to watch this to realize how dumb they look? Oh my gosh, what were we watching? Oh! (laughs) 
Chula comes the Irish. Oh, that's what it was. <laughs> the Disney original. Yeah, Gen Z, if you're listening, go watch it because you look dumb. You're going to realize how dumb you but look. But that's the way exactly that you what they're dress. wearing, which is ridiculous because it's not like their parents are that age. Because usually, like, you end up wearing your parents' style. Like, that's what comes back when yeah. you're young is your parents. But they're not doing that. They're just doing, like, just the thousands. They're from 15 years ago. Yeah. No, that's really bizarre that they've done that. They think they're trendy and hip but they can't even invent a trend for, the, for themselves well, <laughs> as I stutter. <laughs> I, I also hate that, like, the fashion industry is so controlled by, like, the youngest people who the aren't actually, people who, the don't people actually who aren't buying it money. with their own money. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I have money to spend now, but uh, make I can't... Make things I want. Exactly. I, like, like, I'm the one who's working now. Like, why would you not make things for me? Like, the young buyer. The Like, I'm still young enough to be, like, cute all the time, but not... But now I have the money to spend it on, on my own, so I'd put, like, good money down on products. Like, I'm 21 They're just not here. Old. I just want to be comfortable. True. I'm not trying to be, um, an And hipsters are not influencer. it. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm not trying to be an influencer like everybody else that has a TikTok. I don't have one. A TikTok? Yep. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. No, I, just, I like it. I, I think that's a better name. It. <laughs> I know it's also already a product, I had Vine. but and you know who followed me on my Vine account back in the day, Perez, Perez Hilton. Hilton. <laughs> so can I say I'm famous? Yes, and he liked my vines, <laughs> and all he does is talk trash on everybody. So what can I say? If I'm in with Perez, a man who hates literally everyone, <laughs> then I think I'm doing okay in life. That's just so bizarre. What's so funny is I literally had, like, maybe a hundred followers, and most of the people were, like, just total randos. Mm -hmm. And I never made vines. I made vines of that, like, snowpocalypse we had Mm -hmm. back in whatever year that was. But, oh, our uh, podcast is now on Apple Podcasts, so um, if anybody's listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Leave a review, and I don't care if that sounds too pushy, I'm telling you to do it. <laughs> Everyone else says it. <laughs> Please leave us a review if that's not too much trouble. It's not too much trouble, because I know you're on your phone all day long, and all you have to do is click on the stars, and it sends it in. Yeah. It doesn't take that much time. And if you need word ideas, say, I like it. It's good. Did it. That's words. And if you don't like it, then don't listen to it, and don't review it, and yeah. just um, leave us alone. Well, I did true crime. And this is a story about Anne is just A N N E, right? Um, in the U.S., yes. <clears throat> well, I know you can do A N N too, but I'm just making sure, making sure it's not Annie. No, you do I E if it was Annie. I, that's what I was thinking, but some people are weird. Okay, so it's about uh, Jacobin. Anne-Marie Fahey, F-A-H-E-Y, Fahey, Fahey, and I got my information from lauriejohnston.medium.com, it might just be Johnson, but there's a T in it, so sometimes people pronounce it, sometimes they don't, um, independent.ie, DelawareOnline.com and then Murderpedia.org. Is the first one a medium? I don't know. Or is that it's like, like a, the kind of website? I don't know. Like the the website maker they used? I don't know. It was just a long like 
kind of like a blog article. Okay, then it, it might it might be just the blog yeah. resource then, not not that she's a medium. Well, no. I mean, I found all the same stuff on all the websites, so... Mm-hmm. So clearly they use a singular source. Yeah. None of it's... I sensed this. <laughs> <laughs> so... I went to the location and I felt <laughs> that it happened this way. There was a girl. There was a girl here. Write this. Give me a pen. Give me a pen. <laughs> I don't trust people like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So... <sighs> Anne had been born into a tight-knit Irish-American family who had originally come from Galway. Mm -hmm. Um, She was the youngest of six children. Her mother had died of lung cancer when she was nine, which prompted her father to become an alcoholic. Um, And then he became unemployed, and they kind of had a rough childhood, so all the kids kind of had to watch after themselves. Mm -hmm. And he died in 1986 from leukemia. Um, Her brother Brian described her as a tall, um, she was 5'10", striking looking girl, and she was popular. But um, he says that she remained afraid and insecure after the death of her uh, mother. So she kind of had problems with like self-image and confidence and everything. Her whole life. She went on to study international relations and after graduating, a family friend got her a job in Washington working for Thomas Carper. Um, And then in 1992, he was elected state governor and he took her back to Delaware with him where she became the scheduling secretary for now Governor Thomas R. Carper. So I assume he was like a representative or senator or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 1994, Anne met a multimillionaire, married father of four, Thomas J. Capano. He was a lawyer from Wilmington, Delaware, and what's happening? Oh, I wrote his name in here twice for some reason. I was like, I don't know, Audrey. <laughs> um, he wasn't known to be a faithful man to his wife, and his many um, lovers dubbed him one... Hold on, what am I even saying? Oh, his many lovers dubbed him... I can't see dubbed for some reason. Why am I talking weird? Dubbed him the man with the Velcro fly. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> if that tells you anything... Um, he was a member of a prominent family of Delaware real estate developers and building contractors. He became a wealthy, connected lawyer, state prosecutor, Wilmington city attorney, and counsel to Governor Michael Castle, mm-hmm. um, who I think was the governor before Thomas mm-hmm. or Carper, because the other his name's Thomas too. They're both named Thomas. <sighs> okay. And he was also a political consultant. And he was well known um, in Delaware's political community. So they had met in um, '94 at like some dinner that she was at with the governor. Um. 
And so, like, they started an affair, and at first their affair was just, like, lunches and, like, secret out-of-town meetings, um, and he showered her with gifts and made her feel special, but Mm -hmm. he also began to dictate her life. He would tell her what to wear and who she could associate with and even what she could eat. How dumb. (laughs) I don't understand. It Personally, doesn't... if it's so unfair with someone, I'd be like, well, you can't tell me what to do. You're married with four kids. Thanks. Right? And multiple other lovers. <laughs> Velcro fly man. <laughs> um, so over time, Thomas's obsession with Anne grew, um, despite him having affairs with multiple other women at the same time. He's one of those people, if I can't have you, no one else mm-hmm. can. You know, or, like, you're... Well, guys... I feel like guys who cheat on their wives are always like that. Well, I might be sleeping with five other people, but that doesn't mean you can sleep with someone mm-hmm. else, too. Okay, whatever. And then... Okay. In June of 1996, Anne decided she wanted to break things off with Thomas. Because in September 1995, she had met a man named Michael Scanlon. Uh, mm-hmm. while she was still involved in an affair with Thomas. Um, and they had a rocky start to their relationship, but Anne had fallen in love with Michael. And so she decided she wanted to, like, make things serious with him. So mm-hmm. she wanted to call it off with Thomas. And he went crazy after hearing about the relationship between Anne and Michael, and he bombarded her with telephone calls and emails and wouldn't leave her alone. Um, so now I'm going to do a chronological list of the events that followed. And a lot of them have exact dates, so. That's exciting. <laughs> Let me get situated here so I can <clears throat> fire these off. Well, no, I won't be able to because I can't talk. So, <laughs> on. <laughs> Hold on, I can't breathe either. It feels stuffy in here. I know, I'm sweating. Mm-hmm. On June 27th, 1996, Anne went to dinner with Thomas in Philadelphia, and they left the restaurant around 9.30 p.m., and that was the last time that Anne was ever seen in public. So Anne failed to show up to a dinner date with her boyfriend. Um, what did I say his name was? Michael. Michael, last name that you struggled with. I struggle with all last names. Yeah. Yeah, his name's Michael. Her boyfriend, Michael, um, and they were supposed to meet at her brother's house on June 29th. And so her friends and relatives got um, her her landlord to open up her apartment at 1718 Washington Street in Wilmington, where they found a diary with many entries about Thomas. Um, One from April 24th, 1994 said... I'm afraid because I am in love with a man who had a family. I fantasize my life with him all the time. He is very gentle, intelligent, handsome, and interesting. Um, mm-hmm. From April 26, 1994, she said, Our relationship is finished. I know it is my problem and my fault. I told him things that were hidden inside of me. And then April 7th, 1996, I have finally brought closure to Tom Capano. 
What a controlling, manipulative, insecure, jealous maniac. For one whole year, I allowed someone to take control of my every decision of my life. And then the, her family reported her missing. Hmm. So there's like a lot of entries about him, but those are just the ones that I found online. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly they didn't have a good relationship from because from the 24th, which I think was around the day that they met, to literally the 26th of the same year, mm-hmm. she thought their relationship was already over. But it didn't end until 96. Um, on June 30th, 1996, the police go to Thomas's house at 2302 Grant Avenue around 3.30 a.m. And then again at 2.30 p.m. to question him and look through his home and his Jeep Grand Cherokee for any signs of um, Anne. He tells police that he took Anne to his house after dinner and then back to her apartment where he inspected her broken air conditioner and then Mm -hmm. left around 10 p.m. And the police then labeled this as a missing person case. Mm. Um, July 2nd, Anne's hairdresser, Lisa D'Amico, called detectives and said that Anne had told her that Thomas stalked her after she began dating Michael and that Anne had feared that Thomas might harm her. On July 5th, President Bill Clinton called Carper and offered the FBI's help, and the FBI joined the case, and then police went back to Anne's apartment to look for more clues. On July 11th, Thomas and his three attorneys no longer answer questions or comments on anything. On July 16th, the FBI learned that Thomas had brought or had bought a new Oriental carpet on June 29th at Airbase Carpet Mart in Newcastle. Suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. In late June, or not June, in late July, Thomas's maid Ruth Boylan told police that she had cleaned the house on July 22nd mm-hmm. and noticed hold on, and she noticed that a love seat and carpet had been replaced so Sean Taylor who worked as a project manager for Louis J. Capano Jr. who was one of Thomas's younger brothers had met with FBI agents at a truck stop and told them that he asked he was asked by Louis Capano on July 1st to have a half-filled trash bin emptied from a Concord Pipe construction site. Um, and then investigators led um, learned that early in the month, Thomas's youngest brother, Gerard J. Capano, sold a fishing boat with an anchor missing. And... And let's see. Steve Wright, a clerk at the Getty service station on Lovering Avenue, told the FBI that the store that he worked at closes at 9.30 p.m., um, which Thomas claims that he had stopped at around 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. after he had dropped Ann off at her apartment. Um, and then agents also discovered that Thomas had used his credit card 
at Happy Harry's in Trolley Square in Wilmington on June 30th. And the store manager told the FBI that a man matching Thomas's description had inquired about blood remover that day. Um, and then agents also learned that Thomas had borrowed his estranged wife's Chevrolet Suburban at 7 a.m. on June 28th. So, oh my god, I can't talk. So, things are not looking good for Thomas. <laughs> I like this list of, they're like, they're like movie-esque clues that people are putting together. I know. <laughs> it's like, because I looked for so much information on Anne to have like a backstory for her and everything, mm-hmm. but... You don't really learn well, anything at all until, like... Not everybody's particularly exciting, even though they've been killed. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but then I saw this whole list, and I was like, I kind of like the idea of just, like, listing off everything and, like... All the clues that the police put together. When they're finding it all out yeah. and everything like that. No, it really it feels like a movie. Like, how they piece <laughs> things together in a movie. <clears throat> Like, what is it? Was it, like, The Last of Sheila or something like that? Like, it feels a lot like that. Uh, that's a like, good, all that the clues they put together. Really I like that movie. I don't have gloves. I'm going to go... such a weird movie. Okay. That had to be just, like, a spontaneous thing that they kept in. It had to, yeah. So, on... Now, let's see here. <sighs> On July 29th, Anne's psychologist, Mitchell Sullivan, told police that Anne was frightened of Thomas and doubts that she would have gone um, to his home willingly. Um, And then the state prosecutor, Stephen M. Walther, officially named Thomas as a suspect, as, like, the main suspect. And the case has now began, Mm -hmm. like, an actual criminal investigation. So, on July 31st, investigators found two spots of Anne's blood during an 11-hour search of Thomas's home. Um, That's thorough. And his Jeep and his wife's Suburban. Um, so, then the FBI labeled the case a federal kidnapping case. They think she's kidnapped at this point, and that's well, it? She, they think she was kidnapped. I see. Okay. So, in... Okay, so now it's 1997. Um, okay. On January 3rd, the, the FBI makes a probable cause affidavit saying they suspect Thomas of killing Anne in his home on June 27th and disposing of evidence. On September 4th, the FBI had found that Thomas had asked someone to hurt a legal secretary who had turned him down in the early 1980s and collected emails and voicemails from his office as evidence of his behavior. <laughs> Good on her. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. She's like, you're disgusting. <laughs> Absolutely not. You're a threat to society. <laughs> um, on October 8th, the FBI raids the home of Gerard Capano and sees two grams of cocaine, weed, and 21 weapons... And they threatened him with a federal charge that could send him to prison for up to 10 years. So, on, with the threat of that, on November 8th, Gerard tells prosecutors that he helped Thomas dump a body wrapped in an anchor 
off Stone Harbor on June 28, 1996. He said the body was first tossed in a cooler that wouldn't sink even after he had shot it multiple times to try and help it sink. So they took the body out and wrapped the anchor around it and they dumped it into the ocean or the harbor, whatever. Then they tossed the cooler back into the ocean after that
Now I don't know why you would tell your brother that. I threw away this gun. I never shot it, but, like, Yeah, it was that's trash. Like weird. Because I can understand, like, you're saying, yeah, well, I threw away, like, this gun, blah, blah. But I don't know why you'd be like, but I never shot anybody with it, okay? You, okay, weird. that's weird. Anyway. I mean, why else are you throwing away a um, gun, though? This part is kind of weird. Um, yeah. On February 4th, Special Agent Eric J. Albert says that Deborah. Thank God. I really thought I was going to butcher this. My brain worked for a second. Deborah <laughs> McIntyre. Yes. I typed it wrong. That's why I was like, oh. there's an L instead of an I. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how do you say this? These letters Michael don't go together. McIntyre. <laughs> um, she was a longtime mistress of Thomas. Um, she had told the FBI that she had bought a 22 caliber Beretta pistol on May 15th, 1996, six weeks before Anne had vanished, and Deborah, who had initially lied about her relationship with Thomas and the gun, told the FBI that she threw the gun away before Anne disappeared, but she had only told Thomas about buying or disposing of the gun, um, and prosecutors also unveiled phone records, a bank machine photo, and recipes for gasoline hmm? receipts <laughs> autocorrect <laughs> that's what's on my notes I was like recipes for gasoline okay but <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't work that doesn't make sense <laughs> you text that one right away <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, because you're taking notes. Yeah, okay, so <laughs> prosecutors also unveiled phone records, a bank machine photo, and receipts for gasoline, and a fishing cooler to show how they corroborated Gerard's story. Um, okay. So, on February 10th, Thomas's trial is set for October 6th. On February 27th, Deborah tells prosecutors that she bought the pistol for Thomas and gave it to him, and that Thomas told her he took a boat ride with Gerard on June 28th, 1996, and she, um, she also agrees to make secret tapes of his calls from prison. Um... In March, an inmate, Wilfredo Rosa. Wilfredo. I don't know if I typed that wrong or if that's his name, but I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> um, he was a cocaine dealer. He told prosecutors that Thomas offered him $100,000 to arrange the killings of Deborah and Gerard. Um, on June 18th, a court judge declared Anne dead almost two years after she vanished, although her body had not been found. And then <clears throat> on <coughs> oh, ouch. He's dreaming, it's really cute. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. On June 25th, Anne's five siblings sue Thomas and his three brothers for wrongful death charging them with conspiracy to hide her slaying. 
Um, the trial began on October 6th, and on October 26th, O'Terry, I think that's his lawyer. Okay. He had, like, multiple lawyers, and they kept, like, saying their names in, like, the, the, mm-hmm. the you know, chronological order, and I was like, this is too much to remember, but... He admits that Thomas dumped Anne's body at sea, but claimed her death was a tragic accident. Of course it is. It always is. Let's see. On the 27th, a psychiatrist testifies that Anne was afraid of Thomas and ending their relationship. On the 29th, Detective Robert Donovan testified that Thomas had lied when he was first asked about Anne's death saying that he thought she was with friends when he actually had dumped her body at sea. <laughs> so he's not, you know... Definitely, she's not with friends. <laughs> um, November 4th. With her fish friends. She's a mermaid. <laughs> um, November 4th, a member of Carper's security team testified that Anne had told her that Thomas was stalking her, but that Anne had, like, refused help from... Um, security officers or anything Mm -hmm. um on december 1st another mistress of thomas testified that he had asked her to spread the rumor that deborah had killed anne Mm. (laughs) on december 21st thomas testifies that anne died when a gun that deborah was holding accidentally fired after she had burst into his home and found anne there with him and he says that he buried Anne at sea to protect himself and Deborah. No. <laughs> at the end of the trial... There's <laughs> no. At the end of the trial, Thomas is convicted of murder. The jury votes 11 to 1 that the death penalty applies and 10 to 2 recommend that he be executed. So, go Delaware. Wait, does that mean it passes? I thought yeah. it was supposed to be unanimous. I think... Not well, majority. because on March 16th, 1999, Thomas is sentenced to death, so I'm not sure. I mean, maybe they went in there and just had to change the jury's mind, but that's not fun to tell in, them the story. Yeah, I didn't leave every note, like, I didn't leave every entry in here because yeah. they weren't all, yeah. you know. Um, in 2001, Anne's family settles a wrongful death lawsuit... And then in February 2006, Thomas is no longer facing the death penalty due to changes in the law and other factors, but he is still set to spend the rest of his life in prison. And then Thomas appealed for new trials multiple times over the years, but he never got um, approved. Sorry. He was peeled appeals court was like no we, don't, yeah, we like, think you we did don't it. like you at all and <laughs> honestly we sentenced you to death but since the law changed we can't kill you <laughs> so um uh, yeah so nothing ever got approved and then on september 19th 2011 he's found dead in his cell at the state prison um and the murder weapon has never been found and sadly neither has ann's body but that's the story of Anne Marie Fahey. I like the list of evidence. That's I know fun. that was the first time I've had like a whole bunch of information on it, and I was like, "This is good." Just like the, it's like the lawyer evidence process. Yeah, that's fun. I think Deborah should have gotten charged with something too. 
because she's lied to police multiple times yeah. now, which is no, what she is probably that obstruction of justice been involved in at least one of those lawsuits that the family was settling and with the family she member. She bought a gun, family. which most likely killed Anne. And at first, she said that she had just bought it and threw it away. And then she said, "Well, I also, I, you know, I bought it for Thomas." So um, she bought it for Thomas, Deborah, and then he promptly used it and then threw it away. I know what you've done. That's all I gotta say. It seems, like, slightly suspicious. Yeah, I would have charged her with something. And I'm pretty sure, like, his brothers got... I don't know if Lewis did, because I don't think Lewis really had anything to do with it. He just kind of I think knew, it just happened to be his construction site. he was part of the site. lawsuit. And I know... I think Gerard got charged with something. I'd, I'd assume he'd have to be charged with something. Even yeah. if it was just, like, fine-related. Well, he dumped her body. Yeah. So... No, he helped. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm doing... I'm covering Fort Delaware today. My sources are Wikipedia, um, DEStateParks.com, Haunted Rooms America, Mystery... No, MysteriousTrip.com, Only in Your State, only and in your state. Love only in your again. state. <laughs> and ghost.fandom.com. Um, I wrote... I, I think I originally found this case because I read that it was, like, a case you should look into from, like, mm-hmm. your state. I didn't take any information from it, though. No, this one... Sometimes only in your state has, like, articles about their yeah. lists. And that they had had some little bits here and little tidbits I used. Like, slightly... Odd little details that clearly they had talked to, like, one person extra than other ones had. Yeah. Um, no, I stumbled over those because I write them out, like, the URL, not the individual words. (laughs) Okay. So, Fort Delaware is located in the middle of the Delaware River on Peapatch Island. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) This is on Peapatch Island. (laughs) It's it's south of Wilmington, Delaware. There's like a town next to it that I think people would know, but I didn't bother to write down because I don't know it. So it's I'm not called from Peapad. Delaware. No town of Peapad. It's right next to Peapad. Peapad Island. <laughs> so on the there's there's two other forts nearby on the Delaware side of the river. There's um Fort Dupont, and on the New Jersey side there's Fort Mott. Um. So, in 1794, the island where the fort sits on today, Peapatch Island, (laughs) um, was identified and mapped by Pierre-Charles L'Enfant. I don't do French. Um, And he he mapped it because he thought it was a good location as a defensive post. I think it had been mapped previously because it was already, like, a heavily occupied portion of the Americas at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, this looks like a great location to build a fort in 1794. Um, he called the island Pipash. Despite it already having the name as Peapatch, he decided he didn't like that name, I guess. No one should. Um, <laughs> and at the time, it was only used by a New Jersey resident, Dr. Henry Gale, as a private hunting ground. So, the U.S. Army offered him $30,000 for the island, but he refused. So, the Army went to the state of Delaware. He went to the state of Delaware and 
because Delaware claimed the entire Delaware River and all the islands within a 12-mile radius of the Newcastle Courthouse, and that island was within that. So technically, Henry Gale is a New Jersey resident. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. Couldn't own it <laughs> because it was claimed by Delaware. And his, like, deed to the land was through New Jersey. Um, so using that little little piece of information they claimed the island they seized it from gale in 1813 um after the state legislature had passed an act to to then cede the island to the u.s government um in 1820 the case came up in federal court again and that's when they brought up the point that like technically new jersey never owned the island so they couldn't possibly deed it to gale because Gail keeps trying to get it back. Because, mm-hmm. like, it was his hunting ground. <laughs> and what's more frustrating is, like, the U.S. government doesn't do anything with it for a long time. They sort of try, but they don't put, like, a lot of effort into it. So, like, the War of 1812 happens. There's an attempt to fortify the island, but they never build anything more than seawalls and dikes. So, like, there's still no forts put there. Mm-hmm. Um in 1817 they begin the construction of a star fort i'm not sure if it's ever properly finished because all the plans i saw for the fort were just proposed plans not like an actual map of the island post construction i think they like built some of it like there definitely were portions of the star fort standing because they use it in the later fort Mm -hmm. but even then they don't seem to like properly fortify this island (laughs) um but they built it they finished it I guess, in 1921. Again, still haven't seen the final plans, but maybe they're just not on Google. But they finished it despite not being at war with anybody because it was a great location to protect both, like, the Philadelphia and the new canal linking the Delaware to the Chesapeake. Yeah. So just, like, just in case. I'm looking online for chairs. <laughs> Oh, anyway, the Starfort had some construction issues, apparently, and eventually burned down in 1813, or in 1831. We didn't go back in time. And the rubble is used to reinforce the seawalls instead of repairing the fort. So clearly they just still didn't like this island very much. It's called a big bad <laughs> Oh, in 1836, since the other fort burned down, they proposed a polygonal fort and it was supposed to be like this this masterful architectural creation um but again the gale family comes in this time in the form of james humphrey who's a descendant and then so in 1838 james humphrey comes in he's still from new jersey he's like no i own the the rights to this land like as passed down through the gale family this should be mine because he's like the gale family cleared clearly does not agree with Delaware owning the island. <laughs> so there's a legal battle in, that ensues that stops the construction of the fort for a literal decade. So for 10 years, they cannot build this this fort because <laughs> they want to use it as a hunting island. <laughs> so in 1848, again, the courts finally ruled that it does indeed belong to Delaware and that so therefore the u.s government can continue using it because that's the agreement delaware has for the island but they just don't even bother to build a polygon fort at this point that's just too much effort 
Um, sometime between 1848 and 1860, a pen- pentagonal fort is built. Um, it had 123 heavy cannon mountains, heavy cannon mounting spots. So, like, they could put 123 cannons in those locations. 15 bastions, two tiers of a total of 68 musket holes. It's like those little crevices that you can mm-hmm. shoot from. 11 roof cannons, 20 short range howitzers. So in total, it could have 169 can- cannons mounted all at once, but I don't think it ever had all those. It just had the potential to do so. Yeah. Because it doesn't really ever see battle. So in the Civil War, um, the main purpose of the fort was to protect Philadelphia and that canal. Um, but again, it's just a little too far north for anybody to ever get up there and actually fight. So they just use it as a prisoner of war camp because it's an island. So that's a great, great location. Yeah. <laughs> um, it housed Confederate, captured Confederates, um, convicted U.S. soldier, sol- soldiers, convicted Union soldiers, and local political prisoners and privateers. The Philadelphia Inquirer said that the island contained an average population of southern tourists who came at the urgent invitation of Mr. Lincoln. Hmm. So they were all the prisoners were originally held in the old fort rooms. No. They were originally held in odd fort rooms, just like random ones that they weren't already using. And then they built a barracks to house the prisoners and then another one for the guards. The barracks were built to house about 10,000 people, which seems like a lot of people. Considering, like, when you think of, like, those famous ones, like, like what is that? Eastern State Penitentiary in Pennsylvania was built to hold, like, 1,000 people originally. Yeah. This one's built for 10,000 people. 1,000. <laughs> um, they also built a hospital with 600 beds. Uh, most of the men, oh, most of those who were captured at Gettysburg were sent to to Fort Delaware. There were a total of a dozen generals that were held at the fort by the end of the war. Not like all together, but just served sentences there. By August of 1863, so the war starts in 1861. So by 1863, there are 11,000 prisoners on the island, and by the end of the war, the prison had held 33,000 in total, not at one time, but just like through that time, with the peak number being 12,595. So they went a little over, but it definitely could have gone worse over, considering what other prisons have done in the past. Yeah. Um, all things considered, only 2,500 people died on the island during the war, which is not bad, considering how many people were there. Yeah. Like, out of 33,000 people, only 2,500 died, um, and half of those were from the smallpox epidemic, which, like, a lot of people just died from Mm -hmm. the smallpox epidemic. Can't fix Um, that. Oh, and then 
of those that weren't from the smallpox epidemic in 1863, 243 were from inflammation of the lungs, 315 were from one of the three forms of diarrhea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot we were talking about that. Because the original text had various forms of diarrhea, and I was like, wait, how many are there? <laughs> I looked it up to find out. There are three forms. Um... 272 from smallpox that was not part of the epidemic. And of other specifically recorded deaths. Oh, no, those are all from the smallpox epidemic. Those were different things that were related to smallpox that killed them. I'm sorry, I misread that. So for non-pandemic deaths, 215 prisoners died of typhoid slash malaria, 70 from scurvy, um, 61 from pneumonia, 47 from, I can't say this word, erysipelas, erysipelas, E-R-Y-S-I-P-E-L-A-S, have no clue what that is. No idea. And seven from gunshot wounds, <laughs> and five from drowning. Oh. I mean, th- those are from me. escapee. Situations. That'd be me. I think like 54 total people escaped. Yeah. Which is an impressively low number. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, of those, 109 were Union soldiers, not necessarily ones being held in prison, because there's also a hospital there, and then there's also like the soldiers that worked there, and then 40 civilians who, you know, were doing chores and such. To maintain both the prison and fort. Oh, now I have this whole thing about the conditions of the prisoners, which I think is like moderately relevant for the like ghost context later. So in 1864, rations were cut for the prisoners in retaliation for the conditions in southern POW camps, because they were just the South was having a hard time feeding their own people, so they're definitely not going to be feeding their prisoners well. Yeah. Um. So they cut rations to two small meals a day, but they were also allowed to purchase food from sutlers and fish in the river. So they had means of supplementing their meals. So an example of their rations would be, um, of like these reduced rations, would be three pieces of hardtack, a small piece of meat, and a cup of bean soup, which to me sounds like a full meal. Sounds like a lot. Um... And then another example would be a slice of baker's bread and wheat coffee for breakfast and a slice of bread, a piece of salt pork or beef, and then an alternate, and then, so that'd be one day, and mm-hmm. then, like, the next day would be a boiled fresh beef and bean soup. So I'm, these aren't worth exactly complaining about. <laughs> no. Um... But people complained anyway that they didn't like that the rations were reduced. And I was like, these seem like... Well, then don't be a prisoner. About all I'd eat in a day. <laughs> I know, that's more than I eat most days. <laughs> and, like, the, especially when, like, here's a comparison meal to the individuals who are kept in the fort. So that's the other ones were, like, general barracks meals. I don't know if better or worse people were kept in the actual fort. Yeah. Um, But before the rationing, they were fed three meals a day, which, you know. I can understand how you'd be a little upset that you're getting slightly less food. 
which consisted of a cup of black coffee and two small pieces of bread for both breakfast and dinner. So they're just missing one of those (laughs) in this rationed version. And then for lunch, a cup of soup, a piece of beef, and two slices of bread. Like, there's really not a big difference in the meals. But, you know, okay. Um, The officers received more food than the enlisted men. And they also were allotted more freedoms, which is weird to me that the officers would be allotted more freedoms because they're, like, people in power on the other side versus just, like, the general men. Like, like off, there, there were a group of officers that would pay a black woman $7 to cook for them and $10 to do their washing. That's a lot of money that they're just... How are they... Yeah. Where are they getting all this money from? Um, and the, here's the answer. The prisoners of Fort Delaware reportedly received more ca- care packages than any other POW camp at the time. <laughs> of course they did. Well, that's where they're getting all their money. <laughs> Um, after the Civil War, the fort was modernized over time for the various wars and conflicts and everything that happened. Um, and then in 1947, it was deemed a surplus site. And in 1951, it became a state park. And today they do reenactments and living history on the site. Hmm. There was more information about, like, the world wars, but I just didn't, no one cares. didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since none of the hauntings are related to the world wars. Also, so the why world does it matter? Here, so... Yeah. <laughs> So on, uh, yeah. on to the paranormal. So the dungeon of the fort is told to be the most haunted area of the fort. As the prisoners here were not allowed beds and no had no water to bathe in. Which, mm. I mean, so you're getting food and water. First of all, you're already <laughs> dirty, so. And I'm, I'd like, beds weren't exactly like the bomb back then. <laughs> I know, people didn't bathe that much. Like so, you're you're given at least food and water. Yeah, I'm like you're you're a prisoner of war. Like they're re- it, st- you're not like not to be usually treated, treated like it's that a great. You're on pee patch. What do you think's gonna happen? You're gonna smell like <laughs> pee patch. Pee. Island. What's gonna happen? P e a Audrey. <laughs> like peas. No. That you eat. <laughs> nope. Anyway. So, in the dungeon, people have reported full-body apparitions, shadows, and disembodied voices. And for being considered to be the most haunted location, they don't have, like, a lot of fun stories from down there. Lame. It's just, like, the most likely location you'd experience something. Yeah. You're just scared already because you're in a basement. Mm-hmm. With no natural light. That freaks people out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so ghost hunters investigated the fort. Oh, ghost hunters. Like the show. Not just general ghost hunters. (laughs) I know. And they recorded a thermal image of a man peeking around the corner looking at them in the dungeon. Which is fun. I didn't go watch the episode to see it. Because Ghost Hunters is just the worst (laughs) paranormal show in the history of the world. Uh, Anyway, one of the investigators uh, claimed that their jacket was pulled hard enough to yank them backwards. And apparently they caught that on video. (laughs) I tripped. I was, I was gonna say, I, I think he just said that because he actually did trip and they just don't. But again, I didn't watch the video. Maybe you can see his jacket being yanked. Um, anyway, and they also captured chains rattling and they could see a shadow darting across dark corridors and rooms, but I don't think they caught that in video. I think they just said they saw it, but yeah, again, didn't watch the episode. Okay. But ice play tricks on you in, yeah. in really dark situations, so that's I'm never convinced of that. 
Anyway, so the prisoner's barracks, the mess hall, the officer's kitchen, the ordinance room, the officer's quarters, and just the western end of the Endicott section <laughs> are all known for paranormal activity. I don't know why they couldn't just say, just in general, everything's haunted, because that just sounds like everything, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, people often experience touches on their arms or backs when they're using a particular set of particular set of stone staircases and they've also seen report shadows on the stone staircases um staff say the kitchen utensils and tools go missing and can be found throughout the fort but like people visit here they can take them <laughs> and they can move them <laughs> yeah unless this is happening on like you know over break when it's not open because mm-hmm. i don't think it's open during the winter or something like that um Oh, it's okay. So I have the story of some specific ghosts. I always like that. So it's the ghost of General James Archer, who died in Virginia after he was released. I always think that's important to mention that he didn't die there. (laughs) Um, But he's said to wander the tunnels below the fort where he led a failed escape. Um, His ghost is mainly heard and felt, so I don't quite know how they know it's General James Archer. Um, but maybe it's because occasionally he's said to manifest because he's considered shy, but he's a general who's supposed to be, like, a leader, so I really feel like he shouldn't be that shy to be a successful general. Yeah. Um, but then again, maybe that's why he was captured. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a different story about, I was gonna say, President Stefano. No. (laughs) Okay, I'd like to hear more. (laughs) No, Private Stefano, who is the ghost of an Italian immigrant who worked as a guard at the fort, and he slipped down a wet staircase one day, breaking his neck and cracking his skull open, and he died at the bottom of the stairs, according to the story for this ghost. Like, I don't know if there's actual military records of this happening. Anyway, people report banging noises coming from the flight of stairs. (laughs) Um, and that the noises can be provoked by either telling Stefano's story or calling out to him <laughs> at the bottom of the stairs. So apparently He's if you called, call out to him, he'll fall down the stairs, which sounds so sad. <laughs> Stefano. <laughs> Poor Stefano. <laughs> Anyways. And sometimes his figure can be seen at the bottom of the stairs briefly. <laughs> like, it, like, it's just like a flash of him on the ground there, which is so sad. Just stuck in this. It's... <laughs> It's like in ghosts <laughs> when Fanny falls out of the falls out of the window every day. Oh, poor Stefano. I shouldn't be laughing, but just like so the sad. thought of hearing a ghost falling down the stairs. On command. Day I saw a woman. <laughs> he just walked away, and then she was the lecturer in your class. Oh, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> oh God, that was so funny. Anyway. She was fine. Oh. So in the mess hall, there's a ghost that walks through the mess hall to clean where the mantle once was, and then walks through a bricked up door. So she's clearly like a, a ghost on repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's so common that the staff aren't phased when it happens anymore. <laughs> Which I can't imagine being in a location where you see a ghost so often that you're not freaked out every okay, time. It's just or like you funnel, falling down the stairs. Or, like you whatever. don't purposely avoid the location. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess, I mean, if she's just 
on record and not actually an intelligent spirit it's nowhere near as scary like she's not actively doing anything but in the kitchen there is reportedly a female ghost who walks in to check on the cooking equipment um and once during a reenactment the ghost appeared when they started cooking and she checked the soup and even picked up a utensil and stirred and then smiled at the reenactors and walked through the hall and i don't like the idea that she actually might be sentient (laughs) But just pretends not to be most of the time. Like, that one time she goes, ha I know you're seeing me today. I'm going to scare you. <laughs> funny that you're dressed like me. I'm going to cook. Thanks. Oh. But she's only seen in the kitchen. Um, but also seems to be... She's only seen in the kitchen, but seems to be make herself... Blah, blah, blah. She's only seen in the kitchen, so she only, like, appears in the kitchen, but she'll make herself known when people are talking about the kitchen elsewhere. I don't know how she does that or how they know it's her. Yeah. (laughs) But there, like, seem to be, like, some... These ghosts are, like, you can trigger their appearances, which is fun. Anyway, I I think I'd go on a ghost tour at this place. It seems interesting enough. Like, you can... I want to hear Stefano fall down the stairs. <laughs> see it, just see his body flash briefly <laughs> at the bottom. Oh, Stefano! <laughs> She's smiling at the reenactors and then walking through a wall. She goes, "LOL, I'm dead." See, haha. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's Port Delaware. That was a good one. I just I like it when they give me specific little stories rather than just general descriptions of boring paranormal things. I know. <laughs> And then you just hear disembodied screams. And I'm like, are you sure that's not somebody hiding, scaring you? Okay, so there's like, an owl in your right? home. Right? <laughs> like, there's a whole bunch of animals that sound like screams. <laughs> okay, well, try not to kill anyone and don't mess with Ouija boards. Bye. Bye.